Hey, good morning, everyone. So, uh, we're on Pei Hei Amid Beis, 85B, three lines from the bottom, and we're finishing off the rules about where you eat the Korban Pesach and how you eat it. So, one of the things we were talking about is, can you eat it on the roof? So, uh, we, uh, we actually didn't talk about the roof yet. We were mostly talking about eating it inside the walls, and we wanted to know what about the area... Uh, in between the, uh, the walls itself, like in the doorway. And there we were talking about if, if you're in front of the door jam, if you're behind the door jam. It was pretty, pr- pretty crowded. Everybody's looking for a good space. And so that was the question. But what about the roof? So, Omar Rav, Gagin Valias Lonis Kachu. He wants to say that the roof is not included in the city. Now, when you think about it, the roof could be higher than the wall. So everything inside the wall is holy and it's sanctified. But once you get higher, it's like you're allowed to fly in an airplane over the base of Migdush and you're not in trouble for going there because uh, that's not part of the sanctified space. Especially if that were true, you'd have trouble going on a, a space mission because you're going above all the... Uh... Oh, good morning, Dr. Yaffe. So we're talking about the uh, uh, flying in space. So you never know what we're going to talk about here. So uh, once you're above the space of the wall, then you're not necessarily holy. So that's what the implication here in the, in the Mishnah was. So the Morris says, how can you, Rob, say that the roof is not a place that's holy and therefore you can't eat your Korban Pesach there? It's not, it's not part of the sanctified part of the city. So first of all, he said that sometimes Pesach was very crowded. Normally, if you were invited to a Pesach Seder and all you got was an olive-sized piece of lamb, you would be very upset. <laughs> we mentioned that uh, they used to bring other korbanas too, but there was, if there were a lot of people from the Korban Pesach itself, all you got was Kezesa Pisca, was a small piece of the Korban Pesach. But the second part of it was when they had those years that were very crowded, so uh, they used to sing the, in Yerushalayim, the, the people would all be singing hallow together, paka igra, and it, the sound of the music of the hallow was so loud that the, the roofs were cracking. You know, when in the opera, when they hit the high note, oh, you know, it's about to crack. But as, as an expression, the, uh, it, it just, uh, um, everybody after, when they hit that part of the Seder where they would get to the hallow, they would go up to the rooftops, and then the whole Yushalayim would be singing together. It was just like a beautiful thing. So, uh, but if that's true, uh, it means that they had the Seder. We're assuming Halal's part of the Seder, right? Halal, Halal's part of the Seder. So if Halal was part of the Seder, um, how could they finish on the roof unless the roofs were considered inside the city? That's the question. So my love, as we turn to today's page, is it not... If they sang on the roof, they ate on the roof. So, uh, if, and if they ate on the roof, that contradicts Rav, who said the roof, uh, once you get high up, that's not considered part of the sanctified part of the city. That's a question. My love, the ochel beigra. Amri, no. Beigra, lo. Really, they didn't eat on the roof. They ate their seder down on the ground. Amri, beigra. And then they finished the Seder up on the roof. When they were done eating, they went up there to sing hallow. So the Morris said, are you allowed to do that? Uh, didn't we learn the following? 
So um, this is uh, this might throw you for a loop. The word afikomen, we're used to having the afikomen meaning the piece of matzah you eat at the end of the seder. So, but that's not what it meant at the time of the korban pesach because actually our afikomen is a reminder of the of the korban pesach. We eat the afikomen to remember the piece of matzah is supposed to be the reminder for the lamb. <laughs> that's the. Uh, it's all confused because we have our meal in the middle and then we have the Avikoman later, but the Avikoman was actually a representative of the Korban Pesach. But it's, it's a Greek word and it means uh, you're not supposed to leave your place. Uh, so uh, Avikoman is like from your, uh, you're, you're, you're here for a job. In other words, when you come together for the Seder, you're there until you eat the Korban Pesach. So Ein Maftirin Avikoman means you don't do anything after uh, you reach the uh, final stage. You wait. You, once you start to say that you're stuck, even though it's going on and on and on, you're not supposed to leave until after you ate. Okay. And that means that you don't, you don't move. You wait until you're done. So how could you say that you're allowed to say the hollow on the roof? You're not supposed to move. You're stuck. When you're eating, you're not supposed to leave. But once you're done eating... You can go up to the roof if you want. Rashi, Shalobashasli, three lines from the top. Kriyasahalal Akrahila. The reading of the halal, that's the, the that can be done after. Now so I so what we do is uh, we start the halal and then we eat the meal and then we finish the halal. So it's a little the way we do it today is is a little different. That what they're saying there was they would eat the Korban Pesach and then go up to the roof and sing the sing the halal. We've already started our halal before the meal. I don't know if they uh, didn't start the halal until they went up to the roof, or if it's just calling the second half uh, the main halal. It's just interesting. It's hard to know exactly what they did. Let's fill in some Rashi over here. Ein uh, maftirin. Let's use the top line. Ein maftirin. Maftir means you don't finish. By the way, the maftir is the dessert. Uh, that's the end of the you know the the end of the Torah reading is maftir. Uh, when it's time to uh, be ex- finish the meal, when are you done the meal? After you ate the Korban Pesach. Now, if you remember also, they weren't supposed to eat the Korban Pesach when they were starving. That was the second course. In other words, they, they, we don't eat the Korban Pesach just because we need to fill up the tank. We're supposed to eat it as a, as a mitzvah, so we, they would eat the other, um, the Chagiga first. So, uh, but uh, when you're getting ready to finish the meal, when is that? Akra Pesach, Shehu Nechel Bachrona. The last part of the meal was the lamb. And the, again, so you would have everything else first. You'd have your matzah balls and you'd have your uh, whatever else you have. Then the, at the very end for dessert, you'd have your lamb. Ala soiva, when you're already pretty much full, uh, on your, when you're satisfied, when you're not starving. Uh, and the reason why is that you're not supposed to eat korbanos out of hunger. They're not just because you're starving. They're supposed to be in the gedula. It's called gedula is like in a, in a royal fashion. That's the way kings eat. Kings are not really hungry. They, that's all they do is banquet all day long. But they, uh, it's a certain art to just eat out of, uh, not because they're starving, but it's just part of their, the way they do it. it uh, so apparently you're supposed to eat the Seder night, uh, the, the Korban Pesach. Also, it's not eaten because we're starving. 
it's eaten out of celebration. It's a different kind of eating when you eat out of celebration. Uh, so, uh, you don't leave. I'm keeping on going in Rashi. This word, uh, the word means you pick yourself up you pick your vessels up from here, uh, and you go eat somewhere else. In other words, you don't, um, you're not supposed to leave your place. That's what the word in this, this sense, afikoman, means. Not the, it means that you shouldn't go anywhere else. So, but our answer was, you're allowed to go to sing the halal. Okay, Toshma. Now we're back to the uh, original question, uh, which we got into is, what is the story with the roof? Can you, uh, can you eat your Pesach on the roof or not? So Toshma, Abashol Amar Lees Beis Kachagadashim, Chamura Vibes Kachagadashim. He says the roof of the Holy of Holies was holier than the Holy of Holies, <laughs> which is hard to imagine. If the Holy of Holies is holy, so what's even holier than that? He says, Shebeis Kachagadashim, Kongadon Niktasopam Achas Bashana. The Holy of Holies, the Kongadon, went once a year on Yom Kippur. Valia and the, the second floor, the roof, they went there once every seven years. Some people say twice every seven years. Some people say once every 50 years. Now, why did they even go there? That was just to see what was needed. There was really not much done on the roof. You know, the, apparently, we all know that. It's like sometimes a certain part of the house needs work. And you just, well, you didn't do anything. Why should it break? But it just, that's the way it is. Okay. So, but what do you see? You see that it sounds like the roof, if the roof of the Holy of Holies was holy, so then you see the roofs in Jerusalem were holy. So that's, that's a question. Was that higher? That was higher than the, the wall? That was the highest thing on the, on the Temple Mount? Probably. The roof well, in other words, was it... Um, it was at least higher or equal to the rest of the, you know, the, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, what? The, uh, the Holy of Holies, right. right. So, uh, so there, that's a question. So how can you say that the roofs weren't holy? We see over here that he expressed that it was very holy. So, Omer of Yosef, first wide line, Mehechel Nechem and Nesif, Inish, are you trying to bring me proofs from the temple, from the Beis Amigdosh? Shani Hechel. You can't really bring proofs from what was done over there. That that the, the rules of the Beis Hamikdash were otherworldly. They came from the prophets. David Amelok gave the blueprints uh, to his son. They were given to David by Shmuel the prophet. So everything in the Beis Hamikdash was. Um, done it in a different way than the rest of Yerushalayim. So just because the, the roof of the Holy of Holies was holy doesn't mean that your roof is going to be holy. Hmm. So that proof bites the dust. Let's try again. So besides the, the actual area of the Beis Hamikdash, which was the place of the service where we worship Hashem, uh, there were a lot of storage rooms. Every when you buy a house, they, you know, they claim the closet, sell the house, because the people need to store everything, right? If you have a house where you can't put all your stuff, 
then you're in trouble. So you need storage rooms. So the base of Migdash actually had a lot of storage rooms because they had to have places where, where did you keep the, the Kohanim's clothing? Where did you keep the musical instruments? Where did you um, uh, have all the different animals? Where was the fuel kept? So they had a number of storehouses. Now these storehouses weren't part of the worship area. They were just part of the practical place in running the... Um, the fact that most people in our shul has, uh, right but beside our office, they have a room where they store the sukkah. You know, that's what they do with it. <laughs> that's all, you know, it's like, where else are you going to put it? I don't know. Well, somehow they found an extra room. They could have used it for something else, but you need a room to store your sukkah. Otherwise, where are you going to put the sukkah? It's a lot of boards, right? So um, I, don't, I don't think the shul has like a, they don't, they don't have a natural storage area like a garage or, or an area where you could, uh, uh, store thing, and you need that. Uh, so, uh, so the. But at any rate, so we're going to try to bring proofs from those storage areas. If they had roofs, if they were holy, so Toshma, Halishkos, these rooms, Habnuyis Bekodesh, those that were built next to the holy areas, but they opened to the outside. So the ones that opened to the outside, they they were for use from the outside, token call. But their roofs were holy. So you see the roof of the storage areas were considered holy, and those are not an active part of the base of Middush. So you see the roofs in Yerushalayim uh, were holy. Now that could mean, potentially, by the way, you could eat different korbanos on those roofs. They needed, uh, you had to eat the different sacrifices. So maybe you, you needed different places to go to eat, so, but we're saying they were holy. So is that a proof? So Targumel Kisar Shagein Azar. No, actually not, because the Temple Mount was built on a mountain. So the roof of, the, uh, of these chambers was equal to the ground level of the temple. So it's, uh, it's not, so, and part of the, our theory is that when you're on a, or at least the way I've been explaining it, is that when you're on a roof, you're higher than the wall. Right. But that kind of depends on which part of the city the roof is built. Right. If you're built on, uh, in the ground level and the top of the roof is ground level, then the top of the roof is surrounded by the wall. So, um, uh, so if these things open to the outside, then by de facto they're going to be lower. Right, right? that's right. Yeah, that's mm. yeah. Yeah. So then Mora says, All right, so let's assume that's correct. Look at the next part of the Mishnah. If they open to the holy part, token Kodesh, then the inside is holy, and then the roofs are not holy. Now, the problem with this theory is that if the roofs were, gr- were ground level, so and, and they uh, then why wouldn't they be holy in, the, in case they... Uh, opened up to the holy spot. Uh, so then they would be like caves uh, if they were if the roof was ground level. So then the chamber itself was below ground level. That's like a cave. So how could the rooms themselves be holy if they were underground? Or if if a roof is ground level, so then under the roof is below ground level. Below ground level is the cave. The caves weren't holy. The ground is holy, though, right? So the, leaf, the roof would be holy in that case. Correct, right, right. That's what they're saying. That's what uh, but we were saying just now, though, that if it opened to the holy part, then even the chamber was holy. Right. But our question is, if the chamber was below ground, uh, then it, yeah, how could it be holy? Right. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, We're talking about this. Uh, uh, some of the caves actually go below the areas of the temple, but you don't have to worry about that because the underground was not... There is a little challenge, like, how do you know today what's underground today may have been above ground then? You know, like, uh, I don't know, um, I don't know how the height has changed. Uh, 
the, there's no question that the geography of the of the area has changed. Uh, in other words, at one time it was a higher, it was like an elevation, and they they did some groundwork, and there was uh, um, the, the the ground levels have changed. But at any rate, that's our question right now: is that if this theory is true about the roof being uh, um, that the that the, the these uh, storage chambers uh, were built below ground, how would they be holy? So the Morris said, "Ki It depends on where they open up. Uh, in other words, when he said the caves aren't holy, he meant the ones that open to the Temple Mount. But the ones that open to the Zora, even the underground ones, would be uh, holy. Didn't he say even the ones that are under the Hekokol? It depends on where they open up. Basically, what does the area open up to? That's what makes it holy or not holy. So if you had a tunnel that didn't really open up to a holy area, so it's just an underground exit. Mm-hmm. But if it opened up or it was ground level to one of the areas, that would make it holy. So we still haven't proven what's the deal with the regular roof. So Tashma, the Gaga Kodesh, it says the roof over there was holy. <coughs> Actually, if you keep on reading... It says you don't eat the holy stuff there. So the Morris said, well, what do you mean it's holy? <laughs> we just said it's holy, and then you said you can't do anything there. You can't do any service there. So is it holy, is it not? They used it for storage of the, uh, of the, the equipment, uh, the holy equipment. And the assumption is that it was holy in order to store the holy equipment. Now, uh, some equipment is interesting. Uh, the famous equipment are the two ama equipment. They had a measure, famous measure that people would. Uh, um, how did they do commerce in those days? Who decided the official length? So they had an official measuring stick uh, that was kept in the base of Migdash. Now there was a lot of transactions going on in the base of Migdash. They didn't. It wasn't a cash society. So how did you measure? So they had an official measuring unit that they had in the base of Migdash. Base amas haybushushin abira. They had two amas, and they were kept on the on the wall of the base of Migdash, known as the Shushan wall. Uh, the uh, the Persia, the uh, the Persian emperor Cyrus had given permission to rebuild the base of Migdash. So there's two views. One view is that he made them uh, put up a plaque so that we would always know that he was the boss. The other view was they did it out of a thanks, being thankful to him for giving permission. He not only gave permission to go back, but he even gave funding uh, to rebuild the Beis Hamikdash. So there was a wall in the Beis Hamikdash, a gate that was called the Shushan Habira uh, wall, and they had a picture of the city on it. Very interesting of Shushan. Um, that wall, part of that wall, is intact um, today, and it's on the Arab side. Uh, but it hasn't been dug out. You know, they would love to uh, see exactly what's left there. Now, the, the interesting thing is, if this measure were intact, uh, the inscription on the wall, we could solve a lot of puzzles because there's, we have debates about how big our certain, how, in other words, when we say Dalit Amas, your personal space. So there's a debate, is the Amma a foot and a half? Is it, uh, is it 18 inches? Is it, how big is it? So if we could you know, dig out that rubble and see what was there, uh, you could solve the Amma dilemma. That's, we, know, we know that that's two Ammas. Right, that's right, that's right. Um, but we don't know what's there. That's the problem. And uh, uh, so they're, they're, I've, I've read about scholars like, you know, really wanting to get in there and see what's, uh, 
uh, there on the Shushan Abira wall. Uh, but at any rate, so it says like this over there. Wouldn't that uh, be crazy? We all be on the same measurement, <laughs> what everybody be arguing about. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> and eventually, like, we would be able to eat less matzah. You know, one of the reasons that we eat is that all the measurements, um, um, if you have, once you have one measurement, it'll, start, it'll solve some of the other measurements too. Right. And so, like, a lot of things we do because we're not sure of the exact measure. Right, all the different things. There'd be no more arguments, <laughs> right? So, so it says like this: Osa based on a ton, based on a shushin a One was on Karen Mizrach. One was on the uh, on the the northeast wall, and one was on the northwest wall, uh, southwest. Baal Karen Mizrachis Tafonis on the northwest. I see Yisera. It was uh, bigger than the original one of Moshe. A half a finger. Vizushal Karen Mizrachis Dromus. I see Sarah Lachati Etzba was a also a uh, half a finger. Each one was a half, it was a whole. It just has to do with the changing of the... They switch measurements. Um, when I was younger, they wanted to switch to metric. And uh, uh, I don't think in the end it didn't work, but they... Uh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> remember they tried to switch? It's not so easy. They thought it would make much more sense or something, but... Uh, uh, but uh, it's like they come up with new math or something like that. But uh, but at any rate, so there w- there were changes over hundreds of years about what the measurements were, and as long as you knew that they changed the measure, so that and and why was it one was big and one was small? Why would you have two measures of half a finger apart? So the way it worked was they would get paid with the smaller one and give back to the base amigdosh with the big one so you always needed to make sure that the temple wasn't cheated. Mm. Uh, so you couldn't take a chance. It, whenever you measure, there's always a possibility the measurement is off if they were exactly the same. So they made sure that the temple always did a little bit extra. Uh, and why did they have two? One was for gold and silver, and the other one was for building. Two different uh, types of measuring. So, but anyways, Tanan, we learned over there, it says that the windows and the width of the wall was like inside. So we got the windows to Shabi Zora. They were at the same as the level of the Besamikdash of the courtyard. So why was the wall holy? Wasn't the um, the thickness of the wall would be higher than the ground level? So If the wall was much higher uh, and the wall was holy, so then the rooftops should be holy. That's the question. Mm. So Lumor said, well, actually, there's, not all the walls were high. There were lower walls. Mishkach HaSleib Bar Shura. A Bar Shura is a low wall. I don't know exactly. Let's see Rashi Bar Shura right before the Mishnah. It's a small wall. You had a small wall inside the big wall. And it was low and it was it was ground level. Gova Azor, Shakarka Azor, Holuk Vagova, Vaos Ola Mila. It were like steps up on the wall. It might be like a retaining wall, even uh, this wall. I was, I was th- trying to think before what the purpose of that wall was. Uh, but they had smaller walls. So uh, when we say the tops of the walls were holy, we didn't mean the wall around the city. We meant these, sh- what they call Shura, which is a small wall. Okay. Now we are done with this subject, and we didn't prove our question about the rooftops, whether they were uh, holy or not. There were two opinions. Okay, let's see the Mishnah. Uh, now we finish off with a set of halachas about e- different groups. And we've quoted this earlier, that you're supposed to eat your Seder with your group 
and not join another group. Now, depending on the size of the animals, you couldn't sometimes, if you have a big family today, Kanaida Hora, you have some families when they get together, one lamb isn't going to do it. You know, you would need two lambs, so you need to break up into two Siddharim. You know, the, um, uh, so you'll have, you know, the, so if you're breaking up into two Siddharim, so then you have two official groups, and each one has to eat in one place. But how do you divide up the space? So let's see the Mishnah. You got two groups in one house. So what they do is you each one faces a different direction. It's almost like you turn the tables like one way and one group faces one way and one group faces the other. So even when you're in a small space, if you're looking at someone's back, so you realize that you're, you're two separate groups. The backs would be facing each other. They would be right, right, out. that's right. They'd be facing away from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you keep the hot water in the middle. That's the, uh, uh, I don't know if it was hot water or, uh, yeah, it's uh, the Rashi, let's see over here. That's where you heat up your coffee. Actually, their wine, I'm sorry. They, they heated up their wine on the, um, uh, we've mentioned this before, they use warm water in their wine. So the, uh, uh, they, when they mixed their wine, you had to heat it up. And the reason why you put it in the middle is for the waiter. This way you could use the same waiter for both groups. Um, it's interesting, they had a waiter for their Siddharim, right? If you want that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, so, this way both groups also could heat up their wine at the same uh, beverage station, right in the middle. I didn't know how it was movable. I didn't know if they put charcoal in it or exactly what it looked like. The this way, it, uh, it, everything worked. Now, you have this in the middle. That doesn't bother us. Now, when the waiter does for both, somehow they ate at different times. Um, I imagine that that would be so. You'd have like the, you know, the younger children where they take their time, and then you have the, there are always people that can't wait to eat. That's the big problem today in the Siddharim is that when you have a large group, there are some people that are, are, can't wait for you to move on and some people are taking their time. They've been waiting all year round for this and how do you keep everybody happy, right? And so uh, the, the, you just have two groups and then that's, uh, it works better for the waiter that way too because this way he can finish serving one group and go back and forth to the other group. Okay, back to the Mishnah. Okay. And the hot wa- the water the heater is in the middle. Now, what about the waiter? Isn't the the waiter they would tip the waiter by giving him food? Either they would tip him that way. It could be he had another tip as well. We'll see. But he would eat with he he was Jewish and he would eat at the siddharim. So he was eating in one group and not the other. So how did he go from one group to another? So kofitz says pip. So he would close his mouth. I don't know, it's not polite to walk with your mouth open, right? Mm-hmm. And he would turn his face, he would like walk backwards till he reached his group, and he could eat. Now, uh, everybody else, though, was uh, eating facing each other. So now it mentions if you had a brand new, uh, uh, somebody just got married, and their wife would be a bride, so uh, brides are embarrassed uh, to eat in front of others. Uh, they, they don't like eating in front of others. I, I, I didn't discover this. Um, 
I, I have some some of my uh, the women in my family don't enjoy eating at the uh, kiddushes at the big and shul because they they don't like to eat in front of everybody. That's just not their. I've never even given two seconds thought to that. You know, it wouldn't bother me at all to eat in a kiddush. You know, the kiddush is good. I'm going to eat it. But the uh, a sensitive person says, "I don't want to eat in front of other people. They're looking at me. Well, nobody's watching you eat. It doesn't matter. Some people, it's a sensitivity. They they don't feel comfortable eating in front of others. Uh, also, a bride because uh, she wore special clothes and was uh, um, young, and so sometimes people looked at her. They stared at her. So she didn't want to eat uh, together the first time at the Seder with the family because everybody's looking at her. So she was given permission, hopeless by now, she's allowed to face away and eat. Even though she's part of the Seder, Rashi Vakala, she busha. She's embarrassed. So very it's interesting. Throughout the um, the Gomorrahs, we'll see there's special halachas for a bride. Also, like during uh, morning, there she's allowed to bathe and uh, wash her face, and uh, there is a special sensitivity for a new person in the family, so to speak, and somebody who's uh, embarrassed. Okay, let's see the Gemara. Masnis and money. Who's our mission? Rabbi Yehuda. It goes like Rabbi Yehuda the Tanya. We learned all about them. Uh, it says in the houses, You're allowed to divide the house in two. Yocho uh, I would have thought you could eat in two places. From here you see that the waiter has to pick one spot. He eats, um, and his spot is beside the oven. That's where he's picking out the food. And if he was smart, um, he would uh, uh, fill up over there um, because once the waiter leaves his spot, he can't keep on eating because the Seder night, you're not allowed, once you finish, once you leave your spot, you're done. So if he's smart, he'll fill up over there. Now, if they want to do him a favor, they could sit with him. They could make him, they could make that part of their group. He learns the Pasuk like this. Um, it says when you eat, you can actually eat in two spots because it's, it's, um, the, the verse seems to imply you can eat in two spots as we turn the page. So if you can eat in two places, I would thought you could join two different groups. Uh, there seems to be a debate over here about can you eat in two spots or not? What's the argument? So The debate has to do with this Pasuk. Do you read it the way uh, it's spelled or do you read it the way it's written? That's a famous uh, debate in, in interpreting verses. There's a, it's interesting over here, this is actually sometimes these debates are easy to figure out. Uh, this one is not. Uh, in other words, there were, there's a debate about reading the Pusik. Let's go back to the previous page. He brings the, the Pusik, Malamish They will eat. Um, it, it refers to each eater, not to one eater. So the question is, when it says they will eat, is it, does it imply you can eat in two spots or different people can eat in different spots? Um, and so that's part of the debate. But there is... Um, the question really is that we're having two opinions about that Pusik that describes the eating at the Seder, and uh, the question is, which part of the Pusik do we have these two interpretations? So Rashi brings one, and then he doesn't like it. 
which is very rare uh, for Rashi to do. Um, and he quotes, um, he quotes Unculus, and he calls them Unculus Hager. It's funny. I don't know where Rashi ever says Unculus Hager or just says Unculus. I'd have to really see the, if, uh, what that has to do with anything. But it, it, it's a fascinating Rashi, which we don't have time to do. Uh, but if it intrigues you, you can look into it. Again, how to darshan this Pasuk. There's also a Tosus here. And, um, uh, uh, but again, the debate is, in reading this Pasuk, do you allow people to eat in two spots, or is it only two different groups can eat in two spots? Um, next, four lines from the top. What happens if you're one group, and uh, before you know it, by the end of the meal, there's a wall between you? I don't know how exactly uh, one group wants a little privacy. Uh, sometimes people have, uh, especially where you have uh, uh, different uh, groups of children, like son-in-laws and children, so then the children want to say the Manishtana, or what they learned to their parents. But you see, at the big Seder, they don't have a chance to say it in front of the whole group. Because once you get really large, not each child gets their time. So then what happens sometimes is the individual families will have a mini Seder within a Seder. Right? That's what, you know, Kanina Hora, that's what's going to happen. And uh, what people, sometimes the kids need to go to bed earlier, and so then they get served a little early. I mean, in a big Seder, there's a lot of stuff going on. So there could be, like, before you turn around, they, they put the high chair there, there's a wall there. So, Ladira, is that a problem or not? So, according to the one who says, Pesling Embeshtekabos, you can eat in two groups. So, if you end up, if the divider gets moved or if you break it, uh, Especially, like I said, in these hotels where the uh, everybody's together and a group breaks apart, the one group sings a little, little too loud, and so the other one says, "Can you put the divider up in between?" So, uh, so if you can eat in two places, that's no problem. But according to the one who says, "Ain't a man then you can't. So, what happens if there was a wall and then the wall gets removed? So if you can eat in two different places, no problem. But according to the one who says you can't eat in two, then you couldn't eat. So it's not so simple to change the seating arrangements at the Seder with the, with the walls. He tried to resolve this. Ask him the following. If you, if you take away a wall or you put our question, go ask the Rebbe our question. If you take away a wall or put up a wall in the middle of the Seder, would that be considered like two different places? Uh, would that be like dividing into two groups or not? And that would be forbidden. Or they're sitting in the same house and, and nothing changed. They just put up a wall in between. You don't like, uh, you wanted to keep a fight, you know, just to stop, you know, somebody... Uh, Sometimes you need to separate people, right, at the Seder, right? So can you do it or not? So take he didn't resolve it. That's going to be for Elio and Navi to resolve this issue of the walls. Um, and again, we, the, we had a very basic halacha that the Seder's eaten in one place. And uh, the question is, what if you had one place that gets divided? Is that like two places? So then we said the bride turns her face. Why does the bride turn her face? My time It's because she's embarrassed. She doesn't like eating in front of everybody. Um, they also bring, like I said, that people would tend to stare at her. Rashi, Mifnei busha. It's about uh, six uh, skinny lines up from the bottom. Why is she embarrassed? She's embarrassed to eat in front of the men, because they stare at her. Um, I don't know why they stare at her. Um, 
it could be again she's young and she's she looks nice and uh she's uh they're staring at her uh, ornaments and headdress oh okay she got nice jewelry that's that makes sense very good that's a nice way to think who says that that went into the fortune the, the, okay very good uh, yeah it looks like uh oh okay very good so yeah that um there, there. We mentioned that uh, there's uh, we uh, people would buy jewelry and stuff for the new bride, and so um, she would be wearing it at the seder. And so uh, people like to look at expensive things. And wow, you know, or or either that, or they say, oh, that's a that's a cube, you know, or that's a fake, you know, or that people are looking at the jewelry. So uh, therefore, she's embarrassed. She doesn't like people. Uh, she doesn't uh, like the attention so much. And so uh, then it's permitted. Uh, Let's take a quick look at Tosus. Hakala um, uh, the bride turns her face. So let's see the second Tosus, is coming to teach you that even though she's facing a different direction, she's like everybody else's... Uh, I don't know how these couches were, by the way. I don't know if they had a round table like ours um, or not. But she... Otherwise, it'd be very funny if she, if she was like turned away from everybody, that she wouldn't have a table, right? So... I, I don't know how it looked exactly, but she, uh, maybe she and the groom had their own table. I don't know. But um, uh, what the, as Rashi says, it's not considered like two places. Even though uh, part of the meal she was together with everybody, like maybe for bread or something, or inami uh, or maybe, well, she's, um, uh, she. She's required to. Uh, the question is, does she have to like look back to join everybody else, or can she eat at this a separate table or separate group? Okay, back to the Gemara. Rav Huna Bar Yitzchak. So now we get a story, uh, and it's uh, stories we never we've lost the details of these stories after a thousand years. So we have to leave them up to our imagination. So again, Rav Huna came to uh, Rav Nussan's. He'd never been there before. Omule, they said to him when he came in, they wanted to announce him. You know, who are you? Mashemecha. So he said, Omulahu, Rav Huna. I'm Rabbi Huna. Omar, so they said, Nesivapurya, you're a rabbi? Wow, you get to sit on the sit on the bed. We're gonna bring you a fancy couch. So Yosef, he sat on the couch. Uh, now, the, there's a little surprise here. Uh, among scholars, they don't typically use the name rabbi with each other. And so by him calling himself rabbi, it made it sound like he was insisting on a title. And then they said, oh, maybe this person is a very important person, so he gets to sit on the fancy couch. So most rabbis, even though you were supposed to respect them, they would always refuse to sit on the couch. But he didn't. He, he lied on the couch. So Yaivile Kos, then they offered him a, a cup of fancy wine. Kiba Bachadzana, he took it right away. In other words, usually you're supposed to say, oh no, thank you. Right? Mm-hmm. So the host offered, Can I get you something? Sure. And he drank it in two sips. And he didn't um, he didn't uh, uh, turn around. So Umrlo, so they so then they got up the guts to ask him what was going on over here. So they said to him, My time at Yikasulav Huna, why did you tell everybody your name is Rabbi Huna? Aren't you a little more humble than that? So Amalu Balashemani, he said, That's my name. My name is Rabbi Huna. So it's, it's two, one explanation is he wasn't really a rabbi, but he's he, they called him Rav Huna. That was the uh that's what some people learn. 
Uh, I think Rashi learns that way. Let's see if I could find it. Bala Shemani. Let's see Rashi. The first, uh, oops, we're running out of time. Well, a first wide line. When I was a child, they called me Ravuna. I don't know why. That's my nickname. Uh, the Rebbeinu Hanano learns that he, he was a smicha, and he was insisting that they, listen, if, if, when you study and you get that title, you're supposed to show respect. So my uh, my Why, when we told you you can sit on the couch, then you sat there. Oh my life! I thought you were telling me to do that. You know, when 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 you're at somebody's house and they ask you to do something, you have to follow. You know, you listen. My time Why, when we offered you the cup, you accepted it. The head of the house was asking me. When the head of the house asks you. Um, Misarbin means you can say no to a small person, but you don't refuse a big person. So when the head of the house asks you, you know, take the cup, so you just take it. So my timer, why did you drink it in two times? If you drink a cup in one time, then that's like a, a drunkard. Two is normal. Three, you take small sips, you know, that's already arrogant. So my timer, why didn't you look at us? Uh, uh, the, uh, he says the, uh, the bride, um, the question was, why didn't he turn away when he was eating? And he said only a bride does that, but not everybody else. Okay, so that's the end of the story. There's a lot going on there, a lot that we don't know um, uh, in, this, uh, in this story, but they misunderstood him a little bit, or they, were ju- they thought he was unusual the way, uh, the way he acted. Okay. Another story. They said, here, have a cup. He took it the first time, and he drank the whole thing in one time. He said, didn't uh, didn't we learn that if you drink it all in one shot, you're a drunkard? Don't you agree? (laughs) So Amr, he said the following. This is funny. He says, He said, your cups are kind of small. And your wine is good. The Krise Rechafa, and my belly's wide. <laughs> Meaning, uh, it, it depends on the size of the cup and how thirsty you are. And uh, you have to know, like, um, there are certain times where if you drink it all in one shot, it, it looks like you're being, uh, uh, like you're a drunkard. And there are other times, you know, the cup is really not so unusually big. And, uh, I, and if you're a big person, it means you're very thirsty. And that's how much you drink, and you, you give out small cups. He was saying, basically, it goes by what's the accepted norm for the amount of wine. Okay. Uh, this isn't talking about Pesach, according to uh, Rashi. Tosas learns it is. Um, it's strange that we wouldn't be talking about Pesach, but it doesn't sound like that. So it says if people come in at three, they could start a new, uh, start serving or, uh, but when they leave, even one could leave. As long as it's a normal time. And as long as you make arrangements with the waiter, you have to be polite to the waiter too. If you're going to come at different times, you've got to pay the waiters extra because they make more work for them. And he says the last person to leave, um, this is also something, a lot of people aren't aware of this. There are people that keep restaurants open. They come in like a minute before they're ready to clean up. And uh, they say, oh, it says on here you're open till nine. And then the, the workers who've been there all day long have been wanting to leave. And then the people who come in late sometimes like to take their time 
because they're tired at the end of the day, and uh, they're holding up a bunch of workers. So their argument is, well, we pay for it. But uh, on the other hand, uh, you have to know what the norm is for that place. So uh, you give a big tip if you're keeping the, the whole restaurant open just for you. That's what the, that's what the Gemara says. But Surah Ka'akron, the last people have to add, this is literally the last person because the waiter can't, can't clean up until he leaves. But let's Hilka say, and Allah is not, uh, not necessarily like that um, uh, about this, uh, whether the groups are paying the extra amount. Hadra Allah, Kate said so, and we'll come back to you, Kate said so.